Hey, welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. This is Josh Howerson, our senior pastor. Let me fill you in on something that's happening in the life of our church right now. We're in the middle of a season that we're calling No More Fatherless at our church, where we're embracing and pressing towards a call to do four things. To plant 20 churches in Central and South America, to set up an adoption fund that'll help the next 50 families in our church adopt children, to pay off the mortgage of a crisis pregnancy center that's going to enable them to save 200 unborn lives per year, and then to do what needs to be done to expand our Spring Hill location that's currently running five services that will set us up to reach 10,000 people for Christ in the coming years. If you, as part of the extended family of our church, would be interested in contributing to what God is doing here, you can just visit nomorefatherless.com and get more information about what's happening and how to give. That being said, let's get you to the podcast. If you got your Bible, start heading over to Genesis 22. Uh, Genesis 22, we're going to be this morning. And uh, man, if you are new with us, what's happening today is, uh, is genuinely, argue, is probably the most important day in our church's life uh, in the last nine years that I've been here. And let me explain what's happening. Uh, we are in the last week of a series just called No More Fatherless where we are walking through a calling that we feel uh, like God is placing on our church um, to do four things, Um, to uh, plant 20 churches in Central and South America, uh, to begin a bridge adoption fund that helps the next 50 families in our church uh, adopt children, to pay off the mortgage for a crisis pregnancy center uh, that will enable them to uh, save about 200 unborn lives per year. And then to do what needs to be done for expansion at this Spring Hill location um, that will set us up to reach 10,000 people for Christ uh, in the coming years. Does that sound fun? It sounds really fun to me, man. We're excited about it. So uh, that's what we're talking about. And uh, man, if you are new with us and you're a guest, let me just say um, you picked the absolute perfect day to be here. And here's why I say that. You are about to see how much this church cares about you and how much this church loves the city uh, that we are in. Um, At the end of this message, I'm going to ask everybody who calls the bridge their home uh, to come forward and bring a sacrificial offering above like your normal giving um, to No More Fatherless, along with like uh, you'll see on the little envelope deal, uh, what you think that you can give to No More Fatherless over the next three years. And so we'll do that at the end of the message. And uh, I just want you guys to know, um, as, as a pastor, I, I always I take very seriously, it's my job to go first, my job to be in front. I've got to lead the church. Uh, I, I got to be honest with you, during the last four weeks, in some ways, you guys have been leading me. Uh, the level of sacrifice and the level of uh, faith rising in our church during this season has been amazing. Uh, I was talking to a guy last week after one of the services who just said, he said, man, uh, me and my wife, we've been praying what to do. And uh, man, uh, it, during the service today, uh, my wife leaned over and she said, well, you know, I, whatever your bonus is this year, let's take that and make that our upfront gift to know more fathers. We'll do more for the, but that's, let's make that our upfront gift. And he said, man, the spirit kind of sealed that in my heart while, while we were uh, worshiping too. Let's do that. And then on Monday, uh, he found out his division had a really good year. He was getting a $20,000 bonus. He looked at his wife. He went, man, are we supposed to? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what we said. That kind of thing. Uh, so we've seen that there's been, uh, there was a family in our church who emailed me to let me know they have a six-year-old who had gotten an $8 allowance and then last week brought $3 and said, Mom, I really want to help adopt children at the bridge, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, But then on Monday, uh, Mom was so proud because she came and she brought the other $5 and said, and I want to bring this too. 
Uh, we've got uh, one of our college community groups, uh, our college students, community groups, figured out that they figured out a way to be able to give $32,000 over the next three years uh, to No More Father. These are college students, guys. And uh, that's right, man. They deserve that. And so we've just been seeing kind of that spirit of faith uh, kind of sweep through our church. And I'll be honest, me and Janet, at the beginning of this, uh, we sat down like we always do and we went, okay, how do we up you know, our level of generosity? And we had a number. Um, and that, the number that we had was twice as much as we had, uh, we've ever personally uh, given above sort of normal giving. And then d- during all this stuff, we just began to be challenged, honestly, by a lot of you guys. And we sat down again and started uh, praying. And uh, instead of just, uh, we just, instead of doubling that, we just felt like, man, let's, let's see if we can triple it. And how do we get this close to 20% of our income in the next few years uh, to building the kingdom of God? And so I just want to say, you are leading me in some ways. And what I want to do today is uh, whenever somebody steps out in faith and gives in faith, what happens is the main thing that happens is a shift takes place in your heart. I almost entitled today's message, Shift Happens. And that would have been incredible. Come on, guys. Come on. That would have been incredible, but I'm not going to do that. And, uh, and so what I want to do is I do, I want to speak into this moment. Some, I, I gained half of you, lost half of you, whatever. I'm willing to pay that price. Uh, I want to speak into that moment that's happening today. And so if you got your Bible, head over to Genesis 22. I'm going to read, uh, it's a long passage, but a good passage. I'm going to read 17 verses from Genesis 22. And, uh, and dive right in together, okay? Pick up with me in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. By the way, if you're a note-taking person with a pen in your hand, circle the word Moriah. That is incredibly important. I'm coming back to that. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, notice that by the way, I'm coming back to that. It took him three days to travel to this place. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. By the way, I don't have time to go into this, but when Abraham says, and, and come again to you, the Hebrew that gets translated and come again to you is plural. In other words, Abraham knew that both he and Isaac would be coming back. He didn't know how, but he had faith that it would happen. All right. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac. And he took in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. By the way, Isaac never gets enough credit for this story. Uh, if you didn't know this, at the time of this story, uh, Isaac is uh, somewhere between 18 and 22 years old, and Abraham is somewhere between 118 and 122 years old. What that means is that Isaac could easily have overpowered his ancient dad, Abraham, Um, But what this means is that he willingly, willingly laid himself on the altar knowing he was getting ready to be sacrificed. Now, show of hands, where are the teenagers that are ready to do that for your dad? 
That's what I thought, all right? So props to Isaac for this story. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took a knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. That's important. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because that's an important word, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Okay. Now, first of all, let me start here. Let me just say this passage is not ultimately even about you. Okay. This passage is ultimately about Jesus. Now, here's my problem. Anytime I say that as a preacher, I feel like 50% of people roll their eyes and go, oh, shocker, the preacher says it's about Jesus, okay? Uh, I always feel like the, there's an old preacher story about a Sunday school teacher that wanted to use squirrels as an example of prepared workers. So he walks into his uh, boy's Sunday school class and says, all right, guys, I'm going to describe something to you, and uh, as soon as you know what it is, raise your hand and tell me what it is. And so he starts, he says, number one, it lives in a tree. And he looks around it and nobody raised their hand. He goes, okay, well, number two, it eats acorns. And he looks around and, and nobody raised their hand and all the boys look confused. And so he goes, man, okay, number three, uh, it's, it's, uh, it uh, is furry and has a long bushy tail. And he looks around and none of the boys raise their hand until finally one boy sheepishly says, well, man, it sure sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, okay? It's like, man, that, honestly, that's how I feel a lot of times when I say it's about Jesus. But honestly, this passage in an extremely profound sense, it's about Jesus. I, I, I want you to see something you may not have noticed. Bible scholars point out that until verse 7 of this passage, everything happens really fast. And then it's almost like in verse 7, everything slams down into slow motion, so before verse 7, it's, uh, it's here I am. He went to the place. On the third day, he saw. He cut the wood. Everything happens real fast. But then in verse 7, it's almost as if it goes into slow-mo. And we get the only conversation in the entire Bible that's recorded between Abraham and Isaac. It's the only one. And here's how that conversation goes. Abraham takes his son, his, listen, his only begotten son, and he takes the fire in his hand and the knife in his hand, but he lays the wood on his son. And he begins to lead him up a mountain. And halfway up the mountain, Isaac says, Father, where's the sacrifice? And his father says, you're the sacrifice, son. And they keep going, and the son willingly lays himself on the altar. And just at the moment where Abraham was about to plunge the knife into his son... The Lord calls out to him, and he says, Abraham, don't touch him. And he turns around, and think about this. There's a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. Do you know why that's significant? The, the fact that the ram was caught by its horns mean, means it was an unblemished, uh, unblemished ram. And then there's a substitutionary sacrifice 
the ram dies in place of the son. Now, what in the world is going on? Why didn't God have Abraham sacrifice his son? Okay, why didn't that happen? Okay, uh, we actually have a hint in this passage, and, and here's the hint. Why did God have Abraham travel to mountains that were three days away? There were tons of mountains much closer to Abraham than the mountains of Moriah. So why did God say, travel to those mountains three days away? Here's why. Moriah, the mountains of Moriah, were exactly where the city of Jerusalem would be built in a few hundred years. Which means that someday there would be another mountain exactly where Abraham sacrificed his son. Do you know what that mountain was called? Golgotha. Golgotha was in these exact mountains, the mountains of Moriah. So why didn't God have Abraham sacrifice his son? Listen, because centuries later, God would lead his son, his only begotten son whom he loved, up the very same mountain. And Jesus would look at his father in Gethsemane and say, Father, where's the sacrifice? And God would say to his son, Son, you are the sacrifice. But that time, instead of God stopping the knife from plunging into the heart of the son, the knife would go all the way in, and the son would die. And now, now, do you understand now? Now we are the ones who look at God, and we say to God, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you loved from me. See, this passage is about Jesus. And what we see is that God was willing to open all the treasury of heaven and give everything he had for you and for me. Now listen, when you see the sacrifice that God has made for you, what that does is it, it captures you into becoming a person who just lays their lives on the altar in sacrifice to him. It's exactly that, okay? Now, there's a connection here, and I, I need you to see the connection. Uh, every time I, see, I read this passage, I always wonder, would God ever ask me to do anything like this? That's all I always wonder. Would he ever ask me to do anything like this? Now, in one sense, God has already sacrificed a son, and he will never ask anyone to sacrifice a child. We'll never do that, okay? But in another very real sense, God will ask every single person who ever follows him to do what Abraham did here. Now, here's what I mean, especially for you Bible scholars. Do you, if you know this story, do you understand what Isaac meant to Abraham? Do you understand this? Okay. Uh, just to key you in on this. When Abraham finally has a child, he's about 100 years old, which means his entire life was a joke before then. Abram, his old name, Abram, meant daddy, and his new name, Abraham, means big daddy, which is awesome, by the way. His new name, Abraham, means big daddy, and he was 100 years old without a child. God's entire promise to Abraham was contingent on him having a child. In fact, you guys may know this story. Uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was so desperate to have a child. There's actually a time in her life where she told Abraham to sleep with one of her servants so that hopefully they could produce offspring. And by the way, if you've never read that story, Abraham really didn't protest very much to that suggestion. It was kind of just like a, well, if you say so, you know, Abraham just sort of does it, but that's not how the Lord wants to provide. No, no, no. In fact, by the time they have children, Abraham is a hundred. And Sarah is 90. And when they have a child, do you know what they name a child? Isaac. Anybody know what Isaac means? It means laughter. Do you know why it means laughter? Because the joke that year was, you're 90, I'm 100, he's a newborn. All of us are getting diapers for Christmas this year. That's a, that was the whole joke because it just happened. Now listen, if you, I need you to understand. Do you have any idea what Isaac meant to Abraham? If you Think about this. This was a farming society. 
There was no 401k. There was no, this was a farming society. If you were to ask Abraham, Abraham, what will be your legacy? Abraham would have said, Isaac. Abraham, what's your retirement plan? Isaac. Uh, Abraham, who will protect you when you're too old to protect yourself? Isaac will. Abraham, where will all of your wealth come from in the future? Isaac. Abraham, what's your safety and security for the future? Isaac. And that, because it's, that is the one thing, God looks at Isaac and says, Abraham, I want you to give me Isaac. That's the sacrifice I want. Now I want to ask you this question, why? Why of everything does God ask Abraham to give him Isaac? Think about this. We already know God has the power to open the womb with a snap of his fingers. Why, if God can just, he can raise up children out of rot, why, why does God ask for the sacrifice of Isaac? I'll give you an example of this. Um, if you guys know my family, um, we have a Friday tradition in the Howerton house where every Friday, uh, me and my two daughters, we go on our daddy-daughter donut date at Dunkin' Donuts. Hashtag D6, that's what we call it. Daddy-daughter donut date at Dunkin' Donuts. And I've got two daughters, six and a two. My six-year-old is a normal child, and my two-year-old is a weird child who hates donuts, okay? I don't know what's going on there. That's, something's wrong, obviously. Uh, she doesn't like donuts. So when we go to Dunkin' Donuts, Felicity, my two-year-old, she won't eat donuts. She will only eat hash browns, Okay. So, and, and the other problem is, while we're there, Felicity has no self-control with hash browns. She will eat as many hash browns as you put in front of her. She will eat all of them. Usually I have to cut her off. I say, two packs of hash browns, that's it. A few weeks ago, I made a mistake and I said, hey, we're going to do this right, Felicity. You can have as many hash browns as you want. Uh, that was a mistake. I didn't go back to the counter twice. I went back to the counter three times purchasing hash browns. Uh, she ate so many hash browns that day. Uh, that this picture I'm getting ready to show you is literally a picture of what she looked like after eating the hash browns. This is literally a picture from that day, okay? That's my daughter. She sat there like that for about 20 minutes in a food coma, just, oh, you know? She has no self-control and no impulse control at all when it comes to the hash browns. So this is just take that in. That's, that's my little girl there. Now, here, here's the deal with Felicity. When we go to Dunkin' Donuts, usually I order my little egg sandwich or whatever it is and some donuts. Uh, but every now and then I'll be there and uh, I'll look over at Felicity's hash browns and I'll think, hmm, this looks kind of good. And uh, I'll lock eyes with Felicity and I'll sort of just look at her and one of my hands will just start creeping over towards her hash browns. And whenever that happens, she freaks out. I mean, she freaks out. We have had disciplined moments in Dunkin' Donuts because she struck her father over reaching for... Like, that has actually happened. And so what I have to do is, if I want a hash brown, sometimes I'll just ask Felicity, Felicity, can Daddy have a hash brown? And in that moment, she chooses whether or not she will give me one of her precious hash browns, okay? Now, here's my question. Why, why do you think I ask my daughter for a hash brown? I am a grown man. I can afford all the hash browns I want. Uh, if I wanted to, I could walk into Dunkin' Donuts and slam my credit card on the table and say, every hash brown you got. Okay, I could do that. If I wanted to, I could borrow one of your trucks. I could back it up to Dunkin' Donuts in Brentwood, Tennessee. I could say, I don't, I'll wait six hours. Fill it with hash browns. Uh, I can make it rain hash browns if I wanted to. You know, whatever I need to do. I could do all of that. So let me ask you this question. Why? Why do I ask Felicity to give me one of her hash browns. You know why? 
because I want her to use what she has to show me that she loves me. That's why. I don't care about her hash brown. I want her heart. And whenever God asks his people to make radical sacrifice for him, do you know what's happening? He doesn't want an amount from you. He's trying to produce an attitude in you. That's what he's trying to do. Okay, this is interesting. I heard somebody say this, that really there's two ways that you can relate to God with your life. Uh, Some people, they give their life to God kind of like a gift card. You know, when I give gift cards, I like to give gift cards because one, I get to control how much, and two, I get to control where you spend it. I like that. I control how much, I control where you spend it. And some people do that with their lives to God. They say, essentially, I'm going to control how much, and I'm going to control where you tell me to go, where I spend my life, okay? But that is not how God works in the Bible. In the Bible, what God does is, I don't want the gift card of your life. I want the blank check of your life. I want you to come to me and already say yes to anything I will ever ask you to do. What God's trying to do is he's trying to produce an attitude in you that says, everything that I am and everything that I have belongs to you because you gave everything that you are and everything that you have for me. That's what God's doing in Abraham in this story. Now listen, when God's people do that, uh, what God does is he literally uses it to change eternities. That's what he does, okay? Now there's a part of this passage people don't, uh, they don't really uh, sink in on. Look down in verse 16. I want you to notice something here. Look at what God says to Abraham after he makes his sacrifice. He says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. And then he says, because, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, okay? Now, do you realize this? One, do you understand that we are the inheritors of this promise? We are literally sitting in the room today because Abraham obeyed God in sacrifice on a mountain 5,000 years ago. We would not be sitting here if that hadn't happened because Abraham did that. We are here today. But do you also realize this? We are also the inheritors of Abraham's sacrifice, All throughout history, what God has done is he's taken the sacrifice of his people and he's used the sacrifice of his people to change the world. Do you guys understand this? That because of our, when we sacrifice, we literally change the eternities of people all over the world, literally change their eternities. There are other people who will one day sit in the kingdom of God as sons and daughters because you and I do the same thing that Abraham did here today because God does this, okay? There's a, Bridge family, there's a passage that while we've been in all this no more fatherless stuff that I read my quiet time a, a few months ago and uh, it's, it's, God seared it into my heart. I've been able to forget it and, and it stayed in my heart for this season of our church's life. It's one of the, I'm gonna t- toss it up on the screen. It's one of those passages that when you first see it, you think that is a totally meaningless passage. Why did he do that? Well, actually there's incredible meaning in this passage. And what it is, It's God pronouncing a judgment on the nation of Israel. And here's what he says in Amos 5. Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Do not seek Bethel. Do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. Now listen, when you first see that passage, that's the kind of passage you go, I don't even know what that means. That's not meaningful to me. It is meaningful. Do you you know what this is? Every city in these three cities They were all places where God had moved miraculously in the past of Israel. So for instance, Bethel 
was the place where Jacob met and wrestled with God. Gilgal was the place where Israel emerged from 40 years in the wilderness and took possession of the land. Beersheba, that was the place where, uh, that was the place where God delivered Abraham by giving him a treaty with a foreign king and saved the entire future nation of Israel. Now, do you know why God says this? Stop thinking about Gilgal. Stop thinking about Beersheba. Stop thinking about Bethel. What he's saying is Israel had become so focused on what God had done in the past that they stopped thinking about how God would use them to change the future. That's what happened in the nation of Israel. And that is exactly what happens in the hearts of churches today. Listen, guys, it is so easy for us to get so caught up in all of the movements of God in the past. We think about, man, the incredible revival movement of Billy Graham in the 60s. Or, man, what about the Protestant Reformation in the 15 and 1600s? You can even do this with a New Testament church. Christians that sit around all the time and just glory in what God did in the New Testament church. You know what God's saying in this passage? He's saying, stop thinking about that stuff. He's saying to us today, he's saying, stop thinking about the Reformation. Stop seeking the revival movement of the 60s. Stop talking about old stories and create some. My greatest acts are in front of you for anyone who will step out in faith to be used by me. And that is happening in the life of our church right now. Right now, God is in the midst of our church doing this. It was so uh, powerful to me this week in sermon prep. Uh, I just kind of tossed out on social media and need some sermon help. Uh, tell me the stories of how God has changed your life at the bridge. And I just asked people to finish this sentence. Because the bridge exists, dot, dot, dot. It's unbelievable the things uh, that we've seen happen in the life of our church. These are some things that people wrote. Because the bridge exists, my husband and I found Christ together, and I baptized him, and he baptized me. Because the bridge exists, I'm a teenager that's using my gap year between high school and college to serve on the foreign mission field. Because the bridge exists, my husband that vowed never to go to church can't stop talking about how much he loves the bride of Christ. Because the bridge exists, I came in suicidal, but I discovered a purpose for living. Because the bridge exists, I am alive today and free from addiction. Because the bridge exists, I am able to find peace knowing that even though my earthly father abandoned me, I am blessed not only with an earthly adoption, but a heavenly adoption by a God in heaven. Because the bridge exists, after 63 years, I have finally found a church that I can call home. Because the bridge exists, I found healing from my lifelong anxiety struggle. Because the bridge exists, my marriage rose from the ashes of infidelity, and I've been healed in ways that I never imagined possible. Bridge family, God is doing it again. That's what he's doing in the midst of our church. And what he says is, if you'll stop thinking about the past and you'll step forward in faith and you'll sacrifice to be used by me, I will make new stories and I will split mountains. I will do that for you. Now, what I want to do is I want you to see not only what God is doing in us, I want you to see what God is doing through us among the nations. That's a lot of times a lot less visible to us who are here. So take a second. I want you to see the story of a few people from our church and how God is using our church overseas among the nations. Give your attention to the screen really quick. My name is Jennifer Walker, and I recently went on a short-term mission trip to Nicaragua. My name is Mark Berry, and uh, I'm with Surge. We have about 250 missionaries worldwide that are working. I'm Brock Gill. I'm an illusionist and evangelist. I spend my time going around the world sharing the gospel. I use shows, magic shows, to draw crowds and share the gospel, and uh, we see people get saved. The first time I went to Nicaragua, they took me down into the dump. This is 
literally one of the poorest places on planet Earth. There are people who live in the dump, surviving off the things that they find in the dump. That's what they eat, that's what they use to salvage, to sell, but they live in the dump. That's how poor they are. I saw kids who are five, six, seven, eight years old running and chasing trash trucks to try to jump and grab maybe the ladder or something on the side. Some of them would fall off and tumble on the ground and some would climb all the way to the top of the trash truck to be the first one in to find the best trash to eat or to wear or to sell. And so they'd jump in and they would just tear the trash, throwing it onto the ground, and then they would climb back out and go and scavenge through. It broke my heart. The first time I saw that, it absolutely gripped me. I was just like laser beam kind of focused in, like I can't believe this is happening. And these are kids who uh, live with their mothers, no, no fathers. Um, their fathers are, you know, oftentimes are in gangs or, or, or nowhere to be found. And I realized right there, these kids literally have no father, but what they, what they need more than something to eat today is they need a heavenly father. And so our mission was do everything that we can to draw these kids and these families together and introduce them to the Heavenly Father. There's a lot of value of leaving our own context here and going to another country or into another place to do missions or ministry. One of my favorite things to do is to take people from the bridge into some of these countries. Whether they've never been before and don't have a passport or maybe they're uh, maybe they've been around a while. I love seeing people outside of their context doing ministry. There's a fire that gets lit in people, and two things happen. One, their worldview is expanded. They, they, they see the world a little bit, a little bit more uh, kingdom-minded. Uh, and two, they get this taste of ministry where they take it home. So when they get home, they're more fired up to do ministry locally with the neighbor, at school, at work. And to me, there's nothing more exciting than seeing that happen. I felt called to go to Nicaragua. The calling got stronger and one morning I just woke up and it was just like, you've got to go. It's only a week. I can make this happen. It may seem impossible in your mind, but you've got to go. I had never even been out of the country. First mission trip with a bunch of people I didn't know. Uh, the first time I was going to leave the country, I was thinking it'd be like a, you know, vacation with my husband kind of thing or be at least with him but yeah it was definitely a step out of your comfort zone thing so I spent uh, a good hunk of time with the 13 year old girls there in, that lived in the city dump I noticed the first day when I would take pictures of them because I just you know like this is what we're doing we're doing painting we're doing uh, coloring I brought like some gel pens and some fun stuff for us to do and so I was like man let me get a picture of what you're doing, I want to remember everything. And, and they would hold up the picture like right in front of their face. So you couldn't see their face. And, um, and then it gets to be Wednesday and they're still doing the same thing, just holding it right up in front of their face. And uh, at the end I was like, hey, can I just have a group picture of you guys just together? I just want to remember the girls that I worked with. You guys have been so lovely and wonderful. I just want to remember you. And they come back with well, you'll remember the ugly girls and the ugly paintings and the ugly art. And it just, oh, it just made my heart sink. I just asked God to work and um, I just told them, I said, listen, you guys 
are beautiful and your precious gifts to the Lord. He created you with joy. He took pleasure in making you. He knows everything about you. He loves you. And you are a beautiful creation of the Lord. And a couple minutes later, um, they asked me to take pictures of them. A little bit after that, some of the girls were like, hey, can you just get a picture of us without the art? And it was just really amazing to see that transformation in a matter of 10 minutes just happen, um, all because of just God's truth just being put into their lives for just those few moments. I always have liked the idea of being able to uh, take the gospel to people that are underserved and having access to it in the sense of not having many places where we worked in Lima you could go the city of 10 million people you could go to different neighborhoods and you knew that grace and the gospel had never been preached on that turf before and you so you have people living and dying without ever really having a lot of access to it so I think the need is probably you know of all those different factors is probably the, the greatest one for me but that's I want to live my life I want the years that I have on the earth, I want them to, to be for the gospel going forward. And I want to be able to look back and know that I went and did the things that God wanted me to do. I love doing ministry. And by partnering with The Bridge, we've been able to share the gospel with thousands of people. What really is incredible about that is not only are they hearing it, but so many people are responding to it. We're literally seeing thousands of people respond to follow Christ. Their lives are being transformed by following Christ and getting into scripture. Their, their lives, their families, their communities, we're seeing transformation happen in some of the poorest places in the world. It excites me to know that as we move forward, we're gonna see a whole lot more of that happening. We're gonna see in the next few years, thousands of people come to know Christ. Come on, come on, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, Bridge Family. All of that happens because, it happens because somebody stepped forward in faith um, to be used by God as a living sacrifice. And man, what I want you guys to know is because of what we as a church do today, there are going to be people whose lives are changed and eternities are changed. There are going to be children who say, because of what the Bridge did in 2017, I have a family. Um, there are going to be teenage moms who say, because of the bridge, I had a place that would help me when I was alone, and I have children that are alive. There are going to be hundreds and thousands of South Americans who say, because of the bridge in Spring Hill, Tennessee, I have an eternity in heaven. And there will be, we pray, tens of thousands of people in Nashville who say, because of the bridge, I have freedom from addiction, children that know God, a calling to live for, a marriage that survived, forgiveness for my past, and hope for my future because of the sacrifice of a few. What God always does is he takes our sacrifice and uses that as a catalyst uh, for his work in the world. Um, 
So one of my, a lot of you guys may not know this. In the last uh, hundred years or so, the continent of Africa has gone from about 5% Christian to about 80% Christian in the last hundred years. And all of that goes back uh, to the sacrifice of one man, a man named David Livingston. Um, you guys ever heard the uh, Dr. Livingston, I presume? That, that goes back to David Livingston. Um, his story was he was a successful, wealthy doctor in Great Britain. And when he heard about the lostness of Africa, he could not not do something. And so he made a decision. Uh, he gave up um, his practice and his proximity. And he went and used the, the next uh, years of his life taking the gospel to every nook and cranny of Africa. There's actually a story that uh, there was a seminary class in Britain that wrote to him and said, hey, Dr. Livingston, we have men who will come uh, to help you on the mission field. They just want to know how the roads are where, it, where you are in Africa. And he wrote back and said, do not send those men. I only want men who will come if there are no roads at all. And uh, he spent his entire life laying down everything. In fact, um, during his time in Africa, he lost a wife and he held two children in his arms as they died while he was on the mission field. Um, at the end of his life, um, he was on the southern tip of Africa and he died of dysentery. Um, but next to him, there were two African converts who had come to know Christ through his uh, mission work that were with him. And they did something strange. Um, they cut out his heart and they buried his heart under a tree in Zambia. And then they carried his body by hand a thousand miles back up to the northern tip of Africa and sent it back to his family with a note that said, you can have his body, but his heart belongs in Africa. And Bridge family, what I'm asking you to do today, what God is calling us to do today is to plant our heart among people plant our heart here for 20 churches to be planted, for 50 children to be adopted, for 200 lives per year to be saved, and for 10,000 people in the national area to come to know Christ. And so, man, I invite you to do that with me. Now, here's what we're going to do. That brings me to this card that some of you have been praying over for weeks. And let me explain what this is. Here in just a second, uh, I'm going to ask everybody that calls the bridge their home to come forward and, uh, and lay that here with, uh, with a, what you may have brought an upfront gift uh, above your normal giving to go to No More Fatherless. And then also on this, there's a place for you to figure out how much can we give over the next three years to see uh, this work take place and this mission go forward. And this, uh, just to, for clarity, you just write your info on the left so that we know that. On the right, you'll write the amount of your enclosed upfront gift there. And then down here, you'll do the math on, man, what could we give per month? And what's that come out to over three years? And then the total down here. So I'm going to ask you to do that. Everybody calls the bridge their home. I'll ask you to do that in a second. But listen, I have a couple of practical things. One, if you're here and you're just not ready to do that yet, listen to me. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, we don't want anybody giving under compulsion. Uh, I would just ask you to do this. Go home today and with your spouse, just finish praying about what God might have you do. And then just drop that in the mail tomorrow so that you can be a part of what God is doing. Okay? So that's one. Two. Uh, if you're one of our leaders that went ahead and you gave early, um, I'm going to ask you to just grab a blank envelope and bring that forward and, uh, and lay it here just as a symbolic act to say, I am, with, I am with you. 
I am with this church family. So you, you please do that. And then the last thing I want to say is, man, if you're here and you're nervous and you're like, man, but Josh, I don't know. This was me and Jana. We have a, a, a very, we have a faith commitment that will require faith. And if you're like, man, I don't know how we're going to be able to that sort of thing. And what if we can't listen, understand this, this is not a contract. It's a faith commitment. You're saying if God enables me, this is what I want to give over the next few years. So let's do this. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds to just pause and pray with your spouse or with your family. So take a second as a family and pray. If you need to finish filling this out in any way, you can do that right now. And then in about 60 seconds, I'll come back. We'll pray together and then we'll come forward to give, okay? So take a second right now to pray. Do that right now. And so Father, what we do right now is, is we do, we pray and we offer you this as a, uh, as a gift of sacrifice. And Father, would you please look at this and be pleased by the sacrifice of our people. Um, God, I pray that heart change would happen today. And that, uh, God, I pray that at the end of today, the spiritual vibrancy of our people would have increased even more than the contribution of our people. And that there would be just a spirit of faith and a spirit of total surrender to the living God who surrendered everything for us that would just rise up from within our church and that we would never be the same. Uh, Father, I pray for people for whom there will genuinely be that you would loose the power of a spirit of fear over them and that they would maybe for the first time in their life be free to step forward in faith and depend on you and you alone. So Father, show us and lead us to what is sacrifice for us, knowing that it's worth it. We love you. We pray those things in the name of your son that you did not withhold from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, Bruce family, would you go ahead and stand? Right now, we're getting ready to sing. As soon as we begin singing, just go ahead and step forward and come and place your gifts in one of these four stations that are up here at the front. And as you do that, just say, take a second, pause, and just pray over it as you give, but make it a short prayer. Don't have a prayer meeting. There's a lot of people here, okay? And so do that, and then, uh, and then we'll continue singing. So sing with me, and go ahead right now and come forward to give.